Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. For those interested in additional resources or services, such as the weekly planners, online planners for Chrome or Outlook, keynotes, live training, coaching, or certification, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. Now, when you listen to an episode that resonates with you, we invite you to share it with your family, friends, and team members so that they can experience the same type of motivation and results in their lives. Also, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It works on Apple, Stitcher, Google, or whatever platform you're using so that you can get a new podcast reminder each week. Now sit back, let's get started, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to all of our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners, wherever you may be in the world today. This is your host, Steve Schallenberger, and we have a special guest, a friend, an amazing person with us today. He's a seasoned marriage and family therapist with over 20 years of experience, and he specializes in helping couples navigate and overcome barriers to lead lives filled with passion and purpose. His extensive experience spans a variety of frontline mental health programs, enriching his understanding of psychosocial dynamics, and his academic journey culminated with a master's degree in marriage and family therapy from Utah State University. Known for his innovative approach, he discovered the profound impact of relational components in addiction recovery during his early work at the New Choices Substance Abuse Program. His contributions to the field continued post-graduation where he played a pivotal role in establishing one of the first drug court programs in Wyoming. So welcome, Emil Harker. Man, that was a long introduction. We should have cut that in half, you know. I know. We're, we're just warming it up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because my background in addiction, like right out of the bat, when you work in addiction, one of the big problems with people's longevity of overcoming their addiction has to do with their relationships. Because what's the number one reason why people relapse? It's because they get a fight with their wife or their boss and they're going, you know what? I'm done. So I was warned, Emil, you're going to have a really hard time getting your relationship hours in a substance abuse program. Because as a therapist in marriage therapy, you have to have so many hours of relational therapy. And so what I started doing, I started looking at how do I incorporate relational dynamics in the success of my clients that had, you know, substance abuse or addictions. And what I found was everybody has some kind of an addiction to something, whether it's a thought that's a negative thought that you're addicted to, and you just keep holding on to it. And you know it's destructive, but it provides you a sense of comfort. Or you have all sorts of addictive tendencies. And so understanding the science of addiction, the psychology of addiction has helped me with all sorts of, of issues that people have in our daily walk of life. So that's kind of where it all started and the importance of the relational dynamics in our success of life. 
Okay, well, good. I'm glad you gave us that background, Emil. And before we get started, I'm going to share a little bit more because Emil takes a really distinct approach to creating strong relationships. In 2007, he ventured into private practice and really driven by a desire to equip couples with the effective conflict management tools that led to the publication of his first book, which is You Can Turn Conflict into Closeness, Seven Communication Skills for Successful Marriages, which actually received the endorsement from the amazing Dr. John Gottman, a global leader in this field. He's done so many other things. I love the fact that one of the things that he approaches, he takes, is found in his book, Confidence in Conflict, Turning Breakdowns into Breakthroughs in Business, and I'm sure in life generally as well. So welcome, Emil. Let's just jump right into this interview. Tell us about your background, including any turning points in your life that's had a significant impact on you. Thank you. I appreciate that. First thing was, as a marriage therapist, we get trained a lot in different models of therapy. Okay, so these different theories and frameworks. And what I found when I was doing this this counseling with people is there wasn't a system that couples could use to work through issues. And what ended up happening was the therapist became like the consultant, the mediator of the relationship, which is good for, for the mediator, but it's not so good for the couple. And I was frustrated because here I am doing couples counseling and we're not equipped with the tools. We're given theories, but not tactical conversational tools to work through those issues when there's a misunderstanding, a frustration, a disappointment, a hurt feeling. So what I decided to do, because I needed it as a newly married man, okay, which I thought I was a decent guy, but when you get frustrated and disappointed and hurt, guess what? I'm not the most sweet guy. And I thought, I got to figure this out for myself and for my clients. So I became devoted to figuring out how to work through frustrations, disappointments, hurt feelings, but do it in a way that won't be some smug, like I win the argument, but in a way that creates greater trust, greater closeness, greater intimacy in the relationship. So that's why the book became titled, You Can Turn Conflict into Closeness, because it isn't just about winning an argument. It's about taking the situations that we have in our relationship and using that as as an opportunity to strengthen the relationship rather than build stronger walls. That was probably the biggest thing for me. And so after I put together this, this framework, I actually made these DVDs because I couldn't afford to print books and I would sell my DVDs. But then later, someone told me about this kickstart program. I had no money. I had a book idea. So I wrote my book. The grace of God guided me into, you know, connecting with Dr. Gottman, who supported it. But anyway, I did a kickstart campaign, got my book printed, published, So that's out there. And now I had a tool that I could share with people that can take those moments that would normally cause a breakdown in the relationship where people pull further apart and kind of 
create their lines in the sand, and now create closeness. So that's the first big one. But the second big one was when my executive client said, can you come and teach our team how to communicate? Because we're a bunch of great guys and gals, and we've got great ideas, but we spend way too much time dealing with the emotional aftermath of a disagreement or a misunderstanding. Can you teach us these same tools? So I started showing up at these corporate trainings with my book, You Can Turn Conflict Into Closeness. I show up at your corporate retreat with this book. It's just, it's one of those things where the people in the group are like, are we going to be holding hands? Is this going to be a group hug thing? And the stories were about breaking through in intimate relationships. And so with some encouragement, I, I rewrote the book, so to speak, but I re-engineered it to use the same principles and strategies, but apply them in the workplace. Especially nowadays, we have so much focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, D-E-N-I. And the programs that are rolling out are actually causing more issues because they're focusing on the diversity component, thinking that the more you understand diversity, then the more inclusive you become. And that's not working. What really creates inclusivity is the connection people have to each other when they work through a difficult situation. I've seen um, big old posters on the walls of what their mission statements are, what their values are. Trust, respect, inclusion, diversity, cooperation. Those are beautiful posters. But everyone who's worked in the world knows that you don't put posters on the wall expecting it to go into their hearts. But you get somebody to make take a moment of frustration and disappointment and handle it well, those two people now, they trust and respect each other. They got each other's back. And so the process of creating these values won't be some posters on the wall. It'll be by teaching them how to take that inevitable situation. Every business has them. Every relationship has them. And equip them with the tools they need to create a connection and, and a sense of respect and trust instead of, well, you're unreasonable. I don't like you. I'm not going to communicate with you anymore. So those would be the biggest breakthroughs I've had in my business in helping other people, you know, really become equipped with the tools they need to to make changes in their life. Okay, so I love it because uh, I've had the chance to be in uh, a couple of Emil's seminars where he's been invited to speak not only to a business group, but to couples. So what he talks about applies across the board whether it's in relationships with a partner or spouse, whether it's with children or business associates, the outcome is the same as building close, productive, happy, satisfying relationships. I like that. So if you don't mind, let's just get into this, Emil. What could someone do? You, you take a unique approach here in how you do it. So what are some of the high points? And this fits right in with becoming your best. You're spot on on that because it's as we develop these skills that we become our best and, and able as an individual when a situation 
takes place to get to a better place. We take responsibility for that. And, and if another person has those skills, great. That makes it easier, right? But what do you recommend? How do you go forward? What's unique about what you do? And what are the tools that you think would be helpful? So when you think about becoming your best self, when you, we are really motivated in that, we, we oftentimes rely on a, just being a good person. But being a good person isn't going to give you the, the ability. You have the capacity, but not the ability. So what we have to do is we have to start thinking that differences in of an opinion or disappointments, misunderstandings, miscommunications, those are inevitable. Because normally what we do is when that happens, we kind of think something's going wrong. Well, that's actually nothing going wrong. That's normal human interaction. So first, we have to remember that differences of opinion, even though they, they may create an impulse of defensiveness inside us, that impulse isn't actually well thought through. That's called an impulse for a reason. There's actually biological reasons why we get that way. And in my book, I talk about that. But knowing that it's going to happen, disappointments, frustrations, the first thing that we need to do, okay, and this is, it takes some practice, but we have to think, there could be something I'm missing. There could be something I'm missing. We normally do not think that. We normally think that our perspective is pretty well thought out. If we assume that we're not missing something, we become way less cooperative, we become way more defensive, and then when we're proven wrong, we become more defensive and less cooperative instead of gushing with appreciation. See, if I assume I'm always missing something, and there's like this, science has proven that our memories aren't as good as we think. So if we go, you know what, if there's a misunderstanding or a disappointment, I'm going to assume I miss something. If I assume I miss something, then the burden of proof becomes on them. I'm a cooperative, nice guy. If their burden of proof is inadequate to point out that I miss something, by default then, then they must have misunderstood or didn't manage their expectations. But I make them feel good about it and safe. I'm going to put a little pin in that for right now because I want people to know something. Information. Exchange of information does not motivate or change people's thoughts, minds, or behaviors. Emotion motivates. So if I have the right answer and I give that right answer and I'm right about my point of view or perspective, that does not increase the likelihood of me persuading you to think or do something different. What does is connecting with you. Connect before you correct. If you're giving information, Without them feeling safe, then that information is going to bounce off the walls. But if I take a moment to connect with them, really understand where they're coming from, and assuming that I might have missed something, I have created a safe place to disagree with me. So now we have collaboration. Because if I miss something, I want to know that I missed something. I don't need to be right to be effective. Okay? Because I'm going to accept feedback. I'm going to open my mind and redirect and correct. That creates trustworthiness in other people. But if I assume I'm right all the time and I'm wrong 3% of the time, that doesn't bode well. If I assume I'm wrong a lot, okay, most of the time, 
and I'm hardly ever wrong, that just creates safety for people. So that's the framework that we operate from. So now let me give you a tool. Let's say somebody comes at you a little hot, okay? Now, as soon as they open their mouths, we can feel it, man. We feel the energy. They could come at you with a criticism, and that's a statement that starts with the word you. You didn't. You're late. You missed something. You forgot this, okay? Now, our pride and ego doesn't like that. But if we embrace the reality that we could be wrong, we create safety. And I create composure, okay? I want to be composed. So as soon as they open their mouth, the first word they say will tell me what kind of statement it is. Statement number one is a criticism. Starts with the word you. You did, you didn't, you always, you should, you never. It can be said with hostility or sensitivity. I don't care, but that's a criticism. When I get a criticism, instead of explaining myself, I need to make sure the other person feels heard and I connect. Remember, connect before you correct. So as soon as a criticism comes, I am going to agree with as much of that criticism as I possibly can. Emil, you were late in bringing me the material that I needed for the board meeting. I have to think, what is true about that? Not why it's late, what's true about it? I'm going to agree with what's true. And let's just pretend in this situation, I know about the board meeting and I know about the material, okay? I'm going to say you're absolutely right. You gave me this instruction three days ago that you needed this material and I didn't show up with that material when you needed it for that board meeting. That's all I do is that's all I say. Because if I start explaining myself of why, I don't know if they're ready to hear why. They could be too frustrated why. So, but if I lean into it and I say, you know what, you're right, Bill. You asked me for this material and I did not give it to you in time. And then you weren't ready to present the board. Now, I'm not being defensive, which shows that now Bill's going to be going, Emil's not being defensive, so now I'm confused. So when someone's confused, they might ask a question. That's statement number two is a question. A question is a request for information. Okay? Now, notice, if I get a criticism, even if they send another criticism, like two in a row, Emil, you're not doing your job. Then I agree with what's true. You know what? I didn't follow through with this task. I capture what's true and talk about what's true. I don't just say yes or no. You're right. And I tell how it's true. You're right. I did not get this information to you in time. Now he's going to go, why? What happened? Now I got his attention. Now I can explain to him. The files that you gave me were corrupted. I spent all night last night trying to figure those things out. I only got half of those things done. And by the time I got those things done, I actually fell asleep, didn't get up until six o'clock. And so by the time I got here, I didn't get it done. And I didn't have my phone plugged in because I was so out of sorts. So I panicked and I got here late. And I totally get why you're going to be pissed off because you need this information and I didn't have it. And that's why. Well, Emil, it would have been nice if you would have let me know, or this is so frustrating, or I'm in a tough situation. That's statement number three. That's called a declaration. A declaration is about the person speaking or about the situation. The phrase I'm going to do is I'm going to say, it seems like you're really, 
or I can tell you that you're, and then insert the emotion, frustrated, upset, overwhelmed, stressed out, in a pickle, because you counted on this information. I didn't get that information to you. And I didn't let you know that I wasn't get that information to you. So it left you really in a bad situation when you're at work or in the board meeting. Yes, that's right. Now notice I'm composed. Situations came up, didn't follow through with, I couldn't get those things done that I needed to get done. He has every right to be frustrated and disappointed, especially if I'm normally the kind of guy that shows up and is ready to go. So I'm not going to take it personal that he's upset. In fact, I have compassion for the guy who's upset. He's in a bad situation. So he's done a criticism about my behavior. He's asked questions about my behavior. He's made declarations about how it's affected him. I'm staying composed. So think about this. How does he feel about me? Not about my task that I failed, but my ability to handle that situation. He's going, this guy's most reasonable. He's humble. He's accountable. He's not reactive. He's not defensive. Imagine if I said this, well, Bill, if you would have given me better data that wasn't corrupted, I would have been ready. How's Bill going to do? How's Bill? Is he going to respond well? No, he's not going to respond well at all. He's going to say, you should have told me that a long time ago. And then I would have. See, then that's a lack of cooperation. But if I'm humble and accountable, I create trust and respect. So now the problem's still the problem. But now instead of taking three days to figure out how to resolve it, he says, okay, so what can we do? Or I say, okay, so what can we do? How do we move forward? If we don't have the tools to handle the statements that we're we're given, and they are so predictable, think about it. Criticisms, questions, declarations. Every once in a while, you're good at command. There's only four statements. These happen every day. Yet we do not think about how to respond to them. And industries spend billions of dollars on lost opportunity and the cost of mistakes, missed work from conflict. And the quality of life that people have is diminished because we don't practice and prepare for the four statements of conflict. I mean, it's like having penicillin and not sharing penicillin knowing what it could do to society if we shared penicillin. And it's like, we actually have solutions now to to remedy the conflict in our society. But we're not passing out the pills. And I think we should. That was a soapbox there, Steve. Sorry, I jumped on that one. So are you saying, Emil, that if a person can learn how to do this, that one person can change the whole tone of the outcome and or help things get to a better place? Absolutely, because here's what's interesting. So many of the communication strategies out there require agreement. In other words, we agree to communicate this certain way. But what I'm teaching is I don't rely on anyone else following the process. Now, to your point you said earlier, if someone understands this, then this speeds up the process tons more. But I don't need buy-in. I don't need their participation because I'm going to be prepared for their worst day. And if I can handle me on their worst day, then I can cover their weakness a bit. And that makes me more trustworthy, more respectable, so that when a situation comes up in the future, they're going to want to talk with me. 
They're going to be willing to share with me, even if there's a difference of an opinion or uh, a, mis- a misinformation or a misunderstanding or someone forgot. I want to be the person. Now, notice I'm not just sweeping things under the rug either. I'm not avoiding the conflict. Avoiding conflict is like fermented problems. It tr- creates resentment. So as soon as someone comes at me and they're a little bit spicy or even passive aggressive, I can stay composed and by my response, because a lot of times in those situations, we either become smug or we get sarcastic back or we get defensive in some way. And what does that do to the milieu of the group? It feeds the negativity, right? But if I can respond positively, imagine I'm in a, a group. Supervisor comes at me a little bit hot. Emo, you didn't do this. And I goes, you're absolutely right. I didn't do that. You asked me to do it. I didn't follow through with it all the way. Period. End of story. Now that person goes, okay, where do I go to take that? Well, if you care about your job, you'll step up your game. That's a declaration. So I capture the emotion, tie it to the experience. I can see this is super frustrating for you and it's super important. And you're really displeased that I wasn't able to meet those expectations, right? Now, imagine I'm doing that in a group of six people. That supervisor that's trying to bully me is starting to go, maybe I'm not on the right path here. Because now that supervisor is going, well, um, so what happened? I might say, you know what? Let's take this offline. I can kind of walk you through what happened. Now, everybody in the group goes, man, Emil knows how to keep his crap together. I would have lost it. And I also am not going to embarrass or humiliate my supervisor because maybe he gave me poor information or the files were corrupt or who, or didn't even tell me this. He could have said, I, I told you this and the email that was supposed to be sent didn't get sent. Now, I'm not going to embarrass him. Why? Because I want to create trust and respect with him. So offline, okay, after the meeting, I come to him and say, hey, look, I can see that you're really upset because you were expecting me to follow through with some things. And, and I didn't follow through with those things. Do you want to know why? Well, of course I do. I just checked my emails. I didn't get an email for that. Would you check your email? Now the supervisor goes, oh, crap. It's in my unsent files. And what do I do? I go, no worries. That's happened to me millions of times. Okay. It's, it happens to all of us. I got his back. I don't need to be defensive. And now how does that supervisor feel about me now? Everything is relational motivational is from the emotion. He trusts me. He respects me. So when there's another situation, is he going to come at me so hot? No way. Because I got his back and now he's got mine. And that's kind of the, the, the society in our workplace that transfers into home. We spend way more time at work than we do at home. And so how we feel, de- you know, if we're not feeling energized, we're feeling, you know, beat down from work. And we come home to our partners and our kids, low energy, no skills on how to deal with frustrations and disappointments. What's going to happen? Not good. Yeah, it really flows over. Well, Emil, I am shocked. We're at the end of our interview. This goes so fast. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's been wonderful today. I love it. We're just scratching the surface. No doubt about that. So any final tips you'd like to leave with our listeners? on how they can master this? I think of communication much like exercise and fitness. 
it isn't like doing math. You figure out how to do math. And when you need to do math, you can do math. It's not like that. It's like fitness. If you're not anxiously working out on a regular basis, then you're not going to be fit to handle the situation when a situation comes. Like I know you like to play pickleball. If you haven't exercised in a long time, you're not working out, you're going to get hurt or you won't be able to recover very fast. And so we train consistently so that when game time kicks in, we can handle that moment. We do need to think relationally in that same way. If you want your relationship to be good, how are you training on a daily basis? Because there's multiple times during the day where we could literally apply these tools so that we don't have to think about it anymore. And that's kind of my fantasy is if we make learning how to communicate in conflict something that we do comfortably, then we can kill contention and grow from the diversity that we have. I love it. We need to teach this in the political world, Emil. Amen. (laughs) And we'd be so much further along. As a follow-on to this last question, how can people find out about what you're doing and and uh, have access to your information and your books, et cetera? I would suggest people go to emilspeaks.com, emilspeaks.com. You can also just Google my name, E-M-I-L-H-A-R-K-E-R. There's lots of resources out there, but I have two different books depending on who you are and where your situation is. If you have a relationship with someone that's important to you in your life, then then get the book. You can turn conflict into closeness. If you want to transform your culture in your organization or business, reach out to me, email at emilspeaks.com, and I will send you a complimentary book, and and we can chat about what's going on in your situation. I'll support you whether you hire me or not. It's part of my mission. Emil is awesome. I love having the chance to work with him. And uh, we're so grateful that you could join us on the Becoming Your Best podcast show today. Thank you so much, Emil, for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to hang out with such an amazing guy like you. Yeah, I feel the same way. And we wish you all the best. I I love you sharing about what your vision is and how you want to help people. That's wonderful. Good. I appreciate it. Have me back when you can. Okay, Steve? Okay, there we go. Well, and to our listeners, been great being together with you today. I love your energy about becoming your best. And I wish you all the best today in all of the things that you're doing. I know that as you do that, you're having a huge impact on all of those around you. So wishing you the best. This is Steve Schallenberger signing off. Thank you for listening to the Becoming Your Best podcast. If there was something in this podcast that you felt would be helpful for a family member, a friend, or even a coworker, we invite you to share this podcast with them now while you're thinking about it. Also, remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Now, for additional resources and tools, such as how to join our monthly peak performance coaching program, or how to get certified as a trainer or coach, or schedule a workshop or keynote, you can visit our website at becomingyourbest.com. We're here to provide you and your team with the resources, tools, and content to achieve your greatest potential. So thank you for listening and have a wonderful day and a great week.